0: All right, the first weekend of college football, for the most part, in the book. So I want to give you a lot of my reactions to a big week, number one. Let's start with the biggest game of the weekend, LSU-Florida State. Before I go anywhere, hand up, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. The last time I talked to you, I said the F in Florida State stood for fraudulent. Calling them out thinking they are way overrated, and it was not even going to be a game against LSU. And I was right in the sense that it wasn't going to be a game, just the wrong team, Got blown out. So the only frauds that were on the field Sunday night in Orlando were Brian Kelly, were the Tigers offensive line, was the entire team for the most part in the second half, the receivers who could not catch COVID in a super spreader event, and me. Those are the frauds from the first week of college football. I am absolutely part of that group for believing in LSU. But I want to start with LSU first coming out of that game because I think there's still a lot more here, and still this is more about the Tigers than it is the Seminoles. Look, this is a loss where I think at the end of the year, if Brian Kelly gets fired, we are looking at this loss right here. September 3rd in Orlando as a reason why Brian Kelly lost his job after just two years in Baton Rouge. You cannot have that sort of egg laid on a big-time game in year two. right? Look, this was supposed to be the year. They had the hype. They had the talent. This was truly a national title season where you can actually believe if LSU for the first time since 2019 – this is a legit team that could go make a run and win a national title. And instead, in the first game, in the first test, in what really should be a big year or two for Brian Kelly, you come out sloppy. you totally no-show in the second half. You quit. You get dominated on the line of scrimmage. You're able to move the ball up and down the field, especially in the first half a ton, and then as soon as you get down to the red zone, you just completely lay an egg. You spit the bed. You, you, you can't score. You can't get a yard. You can't get any sort of push. And then after the game... Brian Kelly comes out and says, Yeah, we read our press clippings. We were we thought we were better than we actually are. Brian, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? That is how you get fired. Overlooking your opponent? think it's gonna you're just gonna throw your jock strap on the field, and that's how you're gonna get a top 10 win in a hostile environment? Look, I disrespected Florida State. I'm also not getting paid $10 million to coach LSU. You are paid to get this team ready to play. And after the game, you basically admit this team was not ready to play in a massive year with big time expectations. There's not a lot of patience on the Bayou. So I'm not being hyperbolic, I don't think at all, by stating the fact that Brian Kelly could absolutely be fired after year number two. Because what leg does he have to stand on? Look at Coach O. Got on a national title. A year and a half later, he's fired. So if a national title doesn't even buy you two years of goodwill, what is a, an SAC West title and now an embarrassing, embarrassing whole, uh, opening day loss to Florida State catcher? Nowhere. Look, things are just starting to get dangerous here for Brian Kelly. I think he's a good coach, but this is also, he's in a pressure cooker and right now he's not doing so well. Look, this is now in 15 games as LSU's head coach. The third time. The Tigers have lost by at least 20 points. And they even add more embarrassment onto that, a fourth loss to five-win Texas A&M that eliminated them any hope of making the couch roll playoff last year before they played Georgia in the SEC title game. you lost by 15-2. So you couldn't beat Florida State in a revenge game. You couldn't show up at all to the game in general. And then your door is blown off. Again, if Brian Kelly does not turn things around fast, Boy, oh boy. It could get dicey in Baton Rouge. Like, look now. For LSU to make the playoff, you got to win 12 games in a row, right? You got to beat Alabama. You got to beat Ole Miss. And probably you're going to have to beat Georgia as well. All three of those games, neutral site or on the road. That's tough, man. They are not going 12-0. LSU's title hopes to me are this year, out the window, see you later. And Brian Kelly now, for the rest of the season, is coaching for his job. Now, on the other side, To give Florida State credit, they were better than I anticipated. The hype coming off of last year into this year clearly is real. And I think we can absolutely say coming out of this game, without a doubt, Florida State, on their best day, can go toe-to-toe with anyone. They can go toe-to-toe with the big boys, and they are absolutely a college football playoff contender in that sense. But here's, I'm still not on the Florida State bandwagon, here's why. This has been a team, under Mike Norvell, that has consistently been inconsistent. They have consistently been streaky. They could rattle off three or four wins in a row, then all of a sudden lose three or four games in a row. They have finished last year 6-0. Now after this win on Sunday, seven—you know running a seven-game winning streak. They absolutely can drop two or three games in a row inexplicably. That has been the Mike Norvell motto, especially the last two years. So this is a great win for Florida State. A tremendous win that's going to catapult them probably to the third or fourth-ranked team in the country. So they are absolutely going to be in the middle of the college football playoff conversation. But they got Clemson coming up on the road at the end of the month. Big, big game. You want me to be a believer? Win that game. Win that game on the road in Death Valley, and I will start singing a different tune. But right now, even though it's a great win for Florida State, even though I did not think they had it in them, they showed you they have the top-line talent and can compete with anyone. Now the big question for them is consistency. Can they play the way they did on Sunday 11 more times? I have my doubts. That's why Freedom's still out on Florida State, despite a big time win for them. Another team, let's continue the theme here of my doubts not coming true whatsoever or being dismissed. Colorado. Hell of a win against TCU. Last time I talked to you again, I told you just kind of like I talked about Florida State. Colorado's going to get smoked. Reality's going to hit them in the face. And all the good momentum that Deion Sanders built in the offseason was going to get wiped away. In Fort Worth, Texas. Tremendous win. Tremendous win. I did not think they had it in them. Again, I was wrong on that. But this is what I'll say. And I've seen a lot of reactions and a lot of hype and a lot of buy-in from Coach Prime himself and a lot of other people now believing it in Colorado. Great win in TCU. Great win. That, though, cannot be the highlight of your season. That win on Saturday cannot be the highlight of Dion's coaching career Colorado tremendous start tremendous start but he wasn't hired to win one game on the road also winning one game on the road does that all of a sudden validate all of the you know all of the questions and erase all those doubts that was coming into Dion's tenure here as a power five coach for the first time in his career he's still got a long way to go he has a long way to go this is a good matchup for the Buffaloes where you had a TCU team that despite going to the national title last year, was 91st in total defense and got worse this year so far. He graduated a lot. So this was a game where Vegas clearly overlooked or overhyped TCU and under-valued Colorado. I'm in that same boat, absolutely. I was 100% wrong on that. I could not believe Dion going basically blow for, uh, blow for blow and continuing to have his team respond through adversity. It was impressive to watch. But now the word is out. Now people are aware. Now Colorado is on the map going forward. Nebraska is going to be a tough game this Saturday. The Pac-12, and we'll get to them in a second here, has is looking to be a gauntlet this season. One win over TCU is not going to, or should not be, Deion's crowning achievement. If so, means the tenure is not very good. But... That's a little dose of reality, but I do want to give Dion and and uh, Colorado their due credit because that was a hell of a win. And again, Shadur Sanders in his first start, 510 passing yards, four receivers going over 100 yards. For me, my most the, the thing I took away the most, I was most impressed with. Look, Shadur was tremendous. Travis Hunter was truly Shohei Otani, Right of football right now, playing both ways, over 100 yards, having an interception, having a big pass breakup in the end zone as well. He was by far the best player on the field on both sides of the ball. He was tremendous. He was tremendous. But my biggest impression with Colorado was the cohesiveness, especially in offense they played with. Like, you you look right, and we heard a lot this offseason, all about Deion bringing his, his luggage and his Louie and all these transfers coming in. All these new faces coming in. You hired Sean Lewis from Kent State uh, to be your offense coordinator. You had some new offense coordinator, new quarterback, all these new receivers coming from everywhere. You turned their entire roster over, and you you brought pieces from all across the country. That is really hard to do, to have all those moving pieces, all those new faces, a brand-new system, trying to implement a new culture, and then have it all by week number one humming. To Dion's credit and Colorado's credit, they were flawless on offense. And I was blown away. Again, it's not easy to do. What they achieved was so hard to do to have everyone on the same page execute, execute, execute week number one. Like That was one of my big takeaways from the overall weekend in college football, and that's been the case now for a while, and we'll see it in the NFL when they kick off this week too. The first game was always sloppy. There was always a lot of mistakes. Now that there's no preseason games, especially in college football, this is the first time real bullets are flying. And now, all of a sudden, kids sometimes don't know what to do, panic, forget their assignment, miss the assignment, and you see a lot of sloppy football and a lot of mental mistakes. And Colorado on offense ran one of the cleanest operations you will see. Again, helped out a little bit by TCU's awful defense, leaky defense, but to their credit, they took advantage. And it's no accident that, again, Shadur threw for 500 yards, and you had four receivers, four, each go over 100 yards. They were tremendous. Again, Travis Hunter was by far the best player on the field. It is It cannot be overstated. Playing 140-something snaps in 100-degree heat. Playing great on defense. Again, hauling in 11 catches for over 100 yards on offense. He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. We know now Colorado has the skill talent to play with most teams, we'll say. Now the big question is, can they shore up their defense? Can they get better on the offensive line? Can they get better on the defensive line? Can they run the ball better? Which is something they, they struggle with big time uh, against TCU on Saturday. A lot of questions now going forward. I think a few answers we definitely got for sure. Quarterback is legit. Skill talent's legit. Absolutely. And the players believe. The players absolutely believe. But now Colorado sent their message. But again, this cannot be the defining moment of Dion's season and uh, uh, of his tenure at Colorado. Okay, we had a few big-time quarterback debuts for a few big-time programs in the top 10 looking to make some noise uh, and make a, a college role playoff appearance. I'm going to give you some few quick grades here from what I saw in their opening uh, opening salvos here. Let's go to Alabama. Big quarterback controversy. Big one. For the first time in a long time uh, with Nick Saban at, at Alabama, I would say Jalen Miller, I'll grade his game-one performance a B. Really solid the run game. That's not a surprise whatsoever. We knew that was a big part of his game with his legs. Had a beautiful scramble, fumble in the back, pick it up, run around the end for a touchdown. Amazing. Had a few nice throws as well. But my questions going forward here is going to be answered week number two, right? Middle Tennessee State, look, they are who they are. Not exactly the best competition for you to truly see if Jalen Murrell can be the passer Alabama needs him to be in order to... uh, in order to win a lot of games and in order to be a big time college football threat, like a lot of people think, or oh, a college playoff, I think I forgot the word playoff before, a big time college football playoff threat that a lot of people still think that they are this year. I do not. But that's really where this test is going to be. Can he throw the ball to win games? Because I think also, too, what you saw from Alabama on that game against, uh, against that game against Middle Tennessee State was their offense line definitely needs some work. The defense cannot be relied upon. So I don't think Alabama can go turn the clock back, let's say a decade, and win games like they used to in 2012 and 2013 and 2010 and even 2015 with Jay Coker where they ran the crap out of the ball, played great defense, and did not ask their quarterback to do a lot. You're not winning games this year with that formula because Alabama's offensive line is not elite like it used to be, and their defense is not staunch enough to completely shut down teams and allow 13 points a game. You're going to need your quarterback to make plays. And so far, again, fine debut from Jalen Milrow. Again, you're playing Middle Tennessee State. This is a big one here. Against Texas Week number 2, we'll really see if Milrow has what it takes in the throwing category to have Alabama achieve the goals they want to achieve this season. Let's go to Happy Valley. I was there in person seeing Drew Aller's debut, and boy, the first drive did not disappoint. Steps up in the pocket Fires a seventy two yard touchdown pass uh into some tight coverage there. Got the crowd going crazy and from there looked really good, it was really efficient against West Virginia. The thing I love the most about Drew Aller from his debut uh on Saturday, his pocket awareness. This was someone that he played a lot last year, but now truly getting his first taste of big time college football in a sold out good environment at home, but still, you know, you almost sometimes we've seen a lot of college players get over anxious or nervous and have those Home field advantage. Um, you know the crowd almost go to their own disadvantage because they're too excited to play. Drew Aller was very calm. Let you know took what the defense gave him. Had tremendous pocket presence. Where he's moving around, scrambling, still keeping his eyes down the field. Ran when he had to, but for the most part stayed in there and made some big time throws. His arm talent is some of the best in college football. Where he's going to make any single throw he has to. He's thrown over the field. He's throwing off balance. He's accurate down the field. Still got that strong arm to fire it down there. It was a tremendous, tremendous debut, I thought, so far from Drew Aller. This team, Penn State's been a, a team in recent years that's had a lot of talent everywhere else except quarterback. This, Aller, is the, he is the guy that I think is going to take Penn State over the hump this year. If you heard my college football playoff prediction uh, pod a few weeks ago, I did have Penn State in the fourth and final spot in large part because Aller's um, presence. And so far in game one, did nothing to dispute that whatsoever. Let's go in the, uh, say in the conference, but go to another quarterback that did not have as strong a debut as Penn State's quarterback. And that's Ohio State and Kyle McCord. This is my lowest grade. I have five, four. Four quarterbacks are going to hit here. Kyle McCord got, I'll give him a C plus. I don't know if I gave, by the way, uh, Drew Aller was great. If I didn't, I missed it. My apologies. A, a for Drew Aller, B for Jalen Milro. C-plus for Kyle McCord. It was a rough one. Indiana stinks. Let's just also talk about that. Indiana is not a good team, especially they are not a good defense. And so it's concerning, especially when you talk about decision-making from Kyle McCord. That was by far his weakness. By far, I thought the worst uh, part of his outing on Saturday was his decision-making. He threw a lot of balls in traffic. He got very lucky that he only had one interception. He easily could have had two or three. And a few of those drops or near interceptions— in the red zone by the goal line. You have to, have to, this year more than ever, protect the ball. You cannot be giving away points and possessions by just throwing the ball carelessly up to Marvin Harrison Jr. or Kate Stover or any other receiver, running back, tight end you have. Ohio State is loaded. But right now McCord has to make better decisions going forward here, and that was one area that he really struggled in a lot. Now is concerning. Also, 2 what concerning, not quarterback-related for Ohio State, their run game. Their run game led by their offensive line was not very good. They were not getting a big push up front. They were not bullying Indiana's front four like they have been in the past. They kind of got pushed around. McCord is under pressure at times. The run game can never truly get going. Overall, the statute, they ran for like 150 yards, so I think it looks better than actually if you watch the game, how it played out. Ohio State, look, you can have all the receivers, all the running backs, all the tight ends you want. Here's the reality in college football and really football overall. If you don't have an offensive line that can block and you don't have a quarterback that can make the throws, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is. It doesn't matter who your receivers are. It doesn't matter who your running back is. It doesn't matter what defense you have. If you cannot protect and you cannot have a quarterback that makes good decisions, you are not going to win. And for me, coming out of that game against Indiana, that to me validated why going into the season, I had Ohio State as the third best team in the Big Ten. And that showed it right there. Because they, by far, out of Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, the Buckeyes, without a doubt, have the worst quarterback. And now in a quarterback-driven sport, you have the worst quarterback. You, for the most part, are going to be the worst team out of the teams we're talking about here. Uh, Penn State showed on Saturday, again, against a West Virginia team that's not very good, but they took care of business. Michigan took care of business as well. And J.J. McCarthy looked very sharp. Ohio State was the one team that struggled. And it's not a coincidence that the one team that struggled out of the three big ones in the Big Ten was on with the worst quarterback situation. I don't think McCord did anything to end this quarterback battle. And I don't think he did much to inspire confidence for Ryan Day in a few weeks and they go to South Bend that they got the guy and they have the offense that's going to put up 50-plus points that they're used to uh again. Big, big, big concern with Ohio State and with Kyle McCord coming out of that opener at Indiana. I get it. tough. Road conference to start the season, but nonetheless, that's a defense you should have had your way with, and they did not. They did not, and that was exactly the big reason was decision making by McCord. But overall, that offense too, I thought was a little, um, little underwhelming to say the least. All right, and finally, fourth quarterback making his you know debut for a new team. Let's say that was a that's a big one. They had a big time um, start, DJ Uyungalale. The best grade, A plus. He was tremendous. Because for everything that he was not at Clemson, good decision maker, confident in the pocket, reading defenses, making the right decisions. All the knocks against him at Clemson was reversed and turned into strengths in his first game at Oregon State on Sunday. Now, again, it's San Jose State, and the pockets were clean as could be. But DJ looked confident. He was efficient. He was accurate. He was decisive. We know he has a big arm. But he used all that big arm uh, along with all the other traits I just talked about and was clean, was dominant. I mean, 20 of 25, 239 yards, five total touchdowns, zero turnovers. That was the best game we saw from DJ Uyunglele since that game. In 2020, it's Notre Dame when Trevor Lawrence had COVID. He threw for like 400 yards. Notre Dame won in like double overtime. But it was one of those where you came out of that game, even though Clemson lost of, wow, Trevor Lawrence is still the guy for that season, but once Trevor Lawrence graduates, they're going to go Watson, Lawrence, uh, DJU. And obviously in those two years since Trevor Lawrence graduated, DJ never was able to replicate that one game against Notre Dame, but this was by far the best and the most confident he looks into that game. Oregon State's a player, man. Oregon State is a player. It it sucks in a way that the Pac-12 is so deep and so legit this year because it's the last year of the conference, but man. USC, Washington, Utah, um, Oregon, and now Oregon State. Five teams in the top 20 all looked legit. And again, DJ was the one with Oregon State I had the biggest question on of the five Pac-12 teams ranked coming into the season. So far through one game, he's he's showing you Oregon State is no pushover. That's going to be a hell of a test um, for Pac-12 teams this season. Okay, final thing I want to comment on here is this. I said before the season started, the Pac-12 Conference is the best conference in college football this season. This season. It's not the SEC. It's not the Big Ten. It's the Pac-12. Because they have teams, and they have five teams, I think, that can make the college football playoff. Oregon State just kind of showed that over the weekend as well. Um, So for me, no other conference has five teams you can legitimately make a case for and run the table and go into the college football playoff pac is the only one. And guess what? Through one week, they've proved me right. The conference right now, coming out of week number one, and USC as well because they played two games because they played week zero, the conference is 13-0. 13-0. First time in 40 years any conference has had every team win on opening weekend and it's the first time for the Pac-12 since 1932 that every team first weekend of the year won. It was a tremendous start to the conference. Again, Michael Penix Jr. looked really strong. Caleb Williams and USC kept on humming, taking care of business. Oregon State looked really good. UCLA had a strong showing against Coastal Carolina. But also, too, it's the quality of opponent. You had the Pac-12 beat an SEC team, Florida. Beat a Big 12 team, TCU. Beat Boise State, which, again, is no pushover. I'm not trying to hype up the Broncos, but they are a team that's always been a tough out no matter who you're playing. They're not just playing cupcakes, right? They're not just playing one A schools and smoking them and say, okay, let's just move on. There are some tough opponents in there, and the Pac-12 so far, to their credit, through week number one, took care of business. They're the toughest conference, and they're the deepest conference in college football this season. And through week one, you are seeing why. All right, so that'll do it for the week one recaps right here. Ryan Hickey here with you. If you're listening on the podcast, Hick and Night, make sure if you want to watch – Check me out on YouTube. Just type in Ryan Hickey. Subscribe to my channel. A lot of these videos are posted there. If you are watching and need a break from my ugly mug, can't say I blame you, check out the podcast form Hick at Night, Night spelled N-I-T-E. We'll do a lot of these reactions going forward here, dropping um, on the podcast feed, as well as uh, giving you the five-minute picks as well. We'll do that every single Thursday. That will be available for you to listen and or watch Uh, for each college football season. It's going to be a tough one here in week number two, some good games highlighted by Texas and Alabama. So we'll get into that. But appreciate you listening. Appreciate you watching. If you like what you listen and or watch, tell a friend. Make sure to tell a friend. Spread the word. Ryan Hickey on YouTube. Hick at night podcast. Again, night spelled N-I-T-E. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Or I guess really Thursday morning is when it will be uploaded. Thursday morning for 5-Minute Picks, week two edition.